Hey, Casimir, on a scale of one to 10 tractors, how many tractors would you give our fall field test in Whistler and why? This, this one's pretty high on the tractor scale because of chairlifts and the weather and the bikes were good too. So yeah, maybe eight, nine tractors. I think I'm going to give it nine tractors. There's always room yeah, for I a little I, bit of improvement, but it's pretty high up there. Yeah, I, I think I would agree. I think that of the 730 field tests we've done, this is definitely, this one gets the highest tractor rating. Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another Pink Bike Podcast with me, Mike Levy, and Mike Casimer. Today, we're talking about the latest field test. We're going to chat about all the bikes, of course, and go deeper into how they performed in Whistler and especially in the bike park. And to do that, I've got two other people here who are with us in Whistler as well for two weeks. Matt Beer, how many tractors would you give the fall field test out of 10? I would go up there. Can you split them in half? I would maybe yeah. do nine and a half. Oh, wow. That high. Uh, Jeez. I mean, amazing weather through the fall. Yeah. Dry, fast jumps in the bike park. Right. Cool bikes. Yeah. And then I kind of doubled down and did a few downhill bike tests as well. You did like one and three quarter field tests when you were there. I don't know how much we're allowed to talk about that right now, but okay. you were doing yeah downhill bike thing that people are going to see soon. Yeah. yeah. How, how many downhill bikes? Four. Which ones? Can we talk about it? Sure. All right. We had uh, Antidote Dark Matter, Nuke Proof Descent, 27, or sorry, a mullet, uh, Orange 327, yeah. which is also a mullet, and a Canfield Jedi, the full 29. Okay, that's enough. No more yeah. talking about it. That's <laughs> it. Uh, Max Barron is captain of the PB video team, and he's also here with us. Max, what is your tractor rating for this one? Like, from a filmer's perspective, what would you give this one? Better than Tucson and Sedona, or nah? uh yeah this one was pretty good i would give this one a high eight or a high nine not as much horchata as tucson though not as much horchata but we did have a hot tub so yeah that's true that's priority number one yeah. usually and it was about as hot as tucson too. yeah exactly all right so before we get into this i have a question for you guys kaz if you could have a field test anywhere in the world where would it be and why would we have it there I think Whistler. You can't say home. No, 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 no. I I don't live in Whistler. (laughs) I don't don't care. It has to be. Let's do the North Shore then. North Shore. I want to ride skinnies. The skinny field test. Okay. What about the North Shore of Hawaii? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay. What about you, Matt? Where are you going to have a field test? I would love to check out the Alps. I think there's just a lot of different terrain you could tap into very quickly, and. You test pretty much any bike out there. People yeah. do a lot of mountain biking. Can you imagine getting like 10, 12 bikes shipped over there and like all the logistics and all of that? Though I, I don't think that would be. Well, yeah, they wouldn't that's come why from I North America. Close to no. home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Kaz, did you want to change your answer at all? Or. No, I really like when it's close to home because shipping logistics and like lodging and all that is so much easier. But um, I don't know. Like East Coast, US East Coast could be cool sometime. We haven't really been over there yeah. much. Yeah. Okay. Max, again, from a filming and a shooting perspective, yep. where's where's somewhere real magical that you would like to shoot a field test? I, if I could pick anywhere, it'd be Japan. Oh, really? Yeah, I think I think so. Why? Uh, well, mainly just because I really would li- would like to go to Japan. Yeah. Uh, but I think it would be, I don't know, completely different from anything we've done. Yeah. Uh, I don't know actually what the terrain looks like, so I'm not too sure. Who cares? Look, but yeah, <laughs> I don't give a shit. I mostly, I just want to go to Japan. So yeah, 
I was going to say Asia too. I was going to say Taiwan, but like basically anywhere in Asia, because I think it would be neat to do a field test and also have like an extra week to do like other yeah. content from there that's yeah. interesting. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, more time, but yeah. Yeah. No, it'd be awesome. I think that'd be great. Mm-hmm. What about like somewhere in India, like Northern India no. or something? No. No. That sounds like a logistical that, Yeah. <laughs> logistics aside. Yeah. We're going to talk a lot about logistics and why that's so important to these field tests to make them actually function and work but mm-hmm. i think that the, like the most important thing is it has to be easy mm-hmm. and india is not going to be easy dude what about somewhere in africa like somewhere <laughs> go in the wrong direction <laughs> i'd shoot nice you asked me from a filming perspective let's go to the south pole yeah sure yeah, yeah. i think the, yeah. the two places morocco. yeah morocco would be cool that would be great too kaz i want mexico or hawaii i think those are like two realistic places that that we should consider going so if anybody from a tourism board is listening from mexico or hawaii hit us up mike at mikesbikes.com and uh we would love to do a field test there it's really starting to feel like winter around here and i know that most people think of mountain biking when they think of trail forks but there's also a ton of features and layers geared towards winter activities like fat biking, Nordic skiing, snowshoeing, and even snowmobiling. Right now, you can get global access to the app with 30% off for our final sale of the holidays. If you're heading out for fat biking or Nordic skiing, you can use the snow grooming layer to find trails nearby. You can also check out this snow forecast right in the app, see slope angle and the avalanche forecast, and filter the map for whatever kind of winter activity you've got planned for the day. And of course, you get favorite features like the popularity heat map and trail reports. This 30% off deal is for Trail Forks Pro with Outside Plus. So you also get all the goods from the outside network. Unlimited digital content, films and TV shows, and expert-led online courses. Get it for yourself or gift it to your buddies without worrying about shipping it. Find out more and get 30% off for a limited time at trailforks.com slash podcast. Hey, Cass, tell us about the news on the website for the last week. Um, that's a good question. There's all kinds of things this week. Was this the week that the website broke? Yeah, that happened. One time it was broken for a day. So sorry to everybody that didn't get on. We don't know whether it happened. <laughs> Has that ever There's happened Levy's before? Fault. That's uh, the longest that it's long. been down. Yeah. Yeah. It used but, to go down. Like, Kaz, we remember it going down for like, you know, an hour here or there. And, you know, it would, we would sort it out real quick. But yeah, no, this was like 24 hours of yeah. it not working and people were upset. Yeah. I wasn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> but that was strange. But I think we've got to fix. So that shouldn't happen again, hopefully. Um, but while the site was working, the news from this week, we recently had a review from Seb Stott of that 190 mil pole Voima. You're supposed to say pole A, but I like saying pole just, but either way, it's a e-bike that looks pretty wild. I, don't know, I did an entire podcast think... with Leo and I said pole the entire time <laughs> instead of pole up. <laughs> you didn't correct me. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that's just how it reads, but either way, this bike is yet yeah, all the travel, very polarizing looks. I'm not the biggest fan of how it looks, but I kind of want to see one in real life just maybe to look better, but it's got some interesting stuff going on. Um, you know, it's, it is pole, so it's pretty long, pretty slack, but it's also high. And by high, it means um, that doesn't regard the mind state of the designer. It regards the bottom bracket height. So it's pretty, it has zero millimeters of bottom bracket drop. So that's 
where the bottom bracket is positioned in relation to the axles of the wheels. Kaz, um, just for reference, how much bottom bracket drop does a, I don't know, some other bike have that's comparable? I mean, usually like 20 millimeters, like off the top of my head, I'm not exactly sure, but it's usually your bottom bracket is usually lower than your axles. Okay. Uh, so, so this one is not the case. And that's at like no unweighted or is that at SAG? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just unweighted. So what what is Leo trying to do with that? Like, because we've been told longer, slacker, lower, more better, and all of a sudden this thing is twenty mils higher than than other bikes. What is the idea behind that? Yeah, I think he thinks it helps it corner better. Just the way that you can, just the the positioning it creates, and also because it has so much travel as you sink into it, anyways, it kind of changes things a little bit. Um, and Seb Seb said it was great in some instances, and in other places it weren't. Uh, he did say it was one of the best, if not the best climbing e-bike that he's been on which is pretty cool especially for a bike with all that travel so it said it climbs super well i mean i can any like pedal strikes or anything could really just like tractor its way up stuff but then going downhill it was definitely a bike that was more all about that straight line speed and not so good in some of the tight twisty stuff um, seb also tried both side or two different sizes i think there's like a v3 and a v2 i might be getting those uh size names wrong but he did try two different sizes just to figure out because it is a pretty big bike and he ended up preferring the smaller size of the two um so yeah, definitely worth a check out of that review. Even if you hate e-bikes, there's some interesting stuff about that, about bike geometry and fit and all that kind of stuff. So check that one out. All right. We had a, a couple of new bikes this week as well. We had the 2023 Common Salt Tempo. That's the XC trail bike that we saw teased over the last few months. Uh, initially, there were people saying that Common Salt was entering the World Cup cross-country circuit and people were wondering how they'd get an aluminum bike to be super light. It doesn't really look like that's the case here. Um, the tempo is 125 millimeters of rear travel, 140 mil of fork. Um, it has, you know, kind of called modern trail bike geometry. It uses their new new dual link uh, suspension layout. So a change from them. They're kind of known for using a link driven single pivot, and that's not what this is. So definitely a totally new platform. Before we move on, could we talk about that freaking video? Yeah. Oh, What's that, that guy's name? Yeah. Hugo yeah. Brixfrix. Holy shit balls. Yeah. That is how you ride yeah. a bike. Yeah. yeah. That's yes. one of my favorites so of the year yeah. for sure. Yeah. Same here. Like I watched that a few times. I don't usually watch yeah. bike videos more than once. And that one is like, I don't care what bike he's riding. He's doing a good job on it. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. If you haven't seen yeah. it, you should go watch it right now. I immediately check the yeah. weather for cam loops. Oh, right? ride there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. It's pretty sweet. Especially since that bike he's on has a Fox 34. So it's like, oh, that fork is getting put to the test. Like those are some big moves, but yeah, watch that. Uh, video and like it's the big news about this bike besides being a new suspension layout it does have through the headset cable routing so that kind of lit the internet on fire and everybody put their opinions out and went wild on it but we've kind of already said that we're not big fans but i'm going to get this one in and hopefully ride it all winter and see how those headset bearings last and that kind of thing what do you guys think of this bike's internal routing personally i think it looks pretty good i've never really liked it any internal routing before but uh yeah, this one I thought looked pretty good. Yeah, I don't know. As long as it's easy to use and clean looking. Like if it's clean and easy, I don't yeah. really care where the cables go, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I like how it looks, but we're back to the same argument as always. Like it does go through that upper headset bearing. So you have to bleed your brake if you replace your upper headset bearing. So it's the same thing. We're kind of, it's always, we've kind of gone over the pros and cons so many times that I just want to get one in and really see what it's like to live with. But, um, but on paper, it looks like a fun, fun bike. So, um, yeah. So that was new. We also had the new Giant Rain. And Matt, you wrote that one up. Want to give us the rundown of what what's new and different about the Rain? Yep, for sure. So the biggest thing is that they've increased the travel. 
the regular rain has a 170 fork now, and then the rear wheel travel has been bumped up from 146, I believe, to 160. There's also the SX version, which is pretty wild looking. It's sort of a bike parky bike, aluminum frame, has a 190 mil travel Fox 40, and gets boosted to 165 rear travel. And all of the reins are now interchangeable to or between a, a mullet or a full 29 using a three position flip chip at the seat stay and rocker link. And they've also added, they've done it before on their trans advanced carbon frames. They've had a down tube storage, but they've also added that to an aluminum version of the rain now. So a bunch of new changes. It's a lot slacker, more aggressive. And we've seen a couple of their enduro riders uh, test that on the last few EWS races They've been going good. Looks like an interesting bike. Nice. Yeah, definitely. Uh, cool. And also, let's see, we got a couple more new bikes to talk about, and then we got some trail building news. But we'll start, we'll kind of wrap it up for new bikes with the Scott Lumen and the Orbea Rise. And those are both e-bikes, and they're both on the lighter weight side of things. We're starting to see uh, this year kind of seems like a bunch of lightweight, more trail-oriented bikes have been coming out. They use smaller batteries, different motors, um, so that the new Scott Lumen, it looks from a distance because it hides the shock inside the down tube, just like the regular spark does. This is basically the electric spark, which is, that's a pretty good name. They should just call it the electric spark. Instead, I mean, Lumen's pretty that good. That would have been great. Yeah. But I kind of like the Lumen spark. is a good name. The spark yeah, that's good and too, the sparky. So. Oh, that is great. Spark E. Yeah. Like an electrician. Yeah. 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 <laughs> nice. You want, you want a job at Mike yeah. Bikes? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can hire you. We can get M3 some consultant. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. yeah but yeah either way the lumen is supposed to weigh only 34 pounds at least in the highest end version which that's the same weight as some of these bikes we're testing that don't have motors in this most recent field test so that's a very lightweight uh, it uses a tq motor that's the same motor that trek is using in the fuel exe um, so just again another lightweight motor kind of designed for people that don't need the full super heavy e-bike but want a little bit of assistance maybe Kaz, does it have all that integrated crap like the Patron did? Like all the lights and all that kind of stuff? Uh, this Remember one doesn't that? have lights. No. Yeah, the Patron had lights. I just got it. I just got an Ibis Oso that showed up. It has lights integrated in it too. Oh, see, that's weird. Like we're riding these. I know. I'm going to go night riding though with my e-bike <laughs> lights on. <laughs> so with the lights that are integrated, they're not like headlights. Like they're not for night. Yeah, yeah. How many? It has a 900, 900 lumen. Like integrated into the handlebar? It's not integrated. No, it's mounted on the handlebar, but it attaches to the battery. So like when you charge your bike, you're charging your lights. <laughs> wow. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's a weird world. I don't know. I got lots of thoughts about some of the things that are going on with e-bikes, but either way, this bike, this year, sorry, this week was light e-bike week, it seemed like, but let's move away from e-bikes because this has been three e-bikes in the news this week. That may be too many for some people listening. I apologize, but <laughs> in different news, <laughs> uh, Fox factory, they announced that they invested a million dollars in their first year of their trail trust program. So basically it's a, um, a way that they help fund nonprofit profit organizations across seven different countries to help you know fund more trails. And, you know, I'm all for bigger companies putting as much money as they can into trails. Cause obviously without trails wouldn't have places to ride. These companies wouldn't have, places for people to ride their bikes so i'm all for it it was funny to read in the comments how like whiny people got about this people love to whine as we all know but this one people are like what are people complaining about 
just all kinds of silly things about like they don't like flow trails they don't like blah 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 blah. but it's like if a company's giving money to trail building that's great that's the end of the story to me but don't whine if you want better trails build them yourselves as always but either way it's cool good on fox like yeah good on fox for putting some money towards this i know other companies santa cruz has a good trail building sponsorship program and there's multiple other ones out there but it's just you know i think it's what all these big companies should be doing with some of their money so yeah so that's yeah yeah all right well that's it for the news should we do this field test thing Mm -hmm. let's talk field test kaz let's let's start by explaining maybe could you just tell people what a field test is in like three or four sentences what we're doing there comparisons blah 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 yeah exactly um we do a certain number of field tests every year this year we did a bunch but um typically (laughs) we just kind of pick a category of bike whether it's enduro bikes trail bikes we do value bikes as well get them all in one place somewhere with good riding ideally ride them a ton and then compare them back to back we do a bunch of different tests kind of pseudo-scientific tests like the um, efficiency test the impossible climb hook to flat and then we get in front of the camera and talk about them write them up so kind of a condensed these aren't like your typical long-term tests where you can't really comment on uh, you know how well they lasted over six months of riding in the pouring rain but they are a good way to get that initial bunch of kind of i'd say hard miles especially when there's a bike park and then let people know how they work yeah yeah and we've definitely done our time in the rain at these field tests too uh this year we were in quebec and we saw some serious rain matt we've also done a field test in bellingham and in tucson so bellingham tucson quebec and now whistler the trails are pretty good in all those places like we had a ton of fun in quebec we even had a ton of fun in tucson and a lot of that stuff dude um but you know where they're really good at fucking home. Yeah, it's because they're our backyard. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it is so good to ride trails like that we know and that we're familiar with and we know what's coming. Matt, you and I both live in Squamish. How amazing was it to just like drive up that road for 30 minutes and you're riding trails that you know, you kind of know what's coming and it gives it does give you that like, I don't know, like because you're more familiar with the trails, I feel like we can test the bikes better. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think it definitely points out what where the differences are between your own bike or where you feel comfortable on the trail versus riding a new bike and something kind of jumps out at you. Yeah. But between the bikes, I think it's a fairly even test. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. 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 I would agree. Like we're, we're, it's all about comparisons. Like Kaz said, so like no matter what trails we're on, we're definitely, you know, riding the back to back on the same trails. That's the whole point. But for me, like, when I'm in Whistler or riding some of those valley trails around Whistler, these are trails that we've ridden for so long and it lets me like kind of push maybe that little bit harder. Um, whereas like when I'm in Tucson and I'm looking at the ground that is razor sure. blades and coral yeah. and cactus and like just a little bit more nervous about it. Max, for you, it has to be good not to like fly across the country with all your camcorder gear and all that stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. Camcorder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it makes a huge difference. And just knowing one what shoots well, what you kind of understand the forest locally yeah. a little bit better and how lighting works and stuff. And then two, knowing the trails, it's much more efficient to shoot. This was definitely the most efficient field test from a filming perspective we've ever had. Yeah, let's talk about shooting for a few minutes before we get into how these bikes performed. Uh, so you're up there, you're shooting action. You're shooting bike stills, like detail shots as well. Yeah. And we're also shooting photography. Um, where are you doing the detail shots? Where did you guys do that this year? So this year, 
it cha- well, this field test, we did it at the studio in Squamish. Okay. We just used a, we have a seamless that we used. Yeah, okay. Which is just a backdrop. Uh, so that was for the detail shots. And then the side profile, like full bike shots, we shot up on a, at like a viewpoint in Whistler. How long does that take? Because I, like we've been at these field tests mm. before and I see you guys leave at like seven in the morning in the rain. Or, do you remember the time we did it up in Pemberton at the at the hang glider spot? And like we were up there for like yeah. two days in a row yeah, for like yeah. nine hours in the pouring rain. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a long time it to does. shoot this. Stuff, it does take it? a long. It's like an hour of bike usually. So if you you know this time was five bikes. Um, I did the details, sh- and we've learned how to do it better over the, you know, over the years. I guess um, yeah. as far as what works efficiently, it's all about efficiency. Yeah, like making it look good, but also being really efficient. And this time we lucked out because it was at home. We had all the bikes before we got to Whistler. So I was able to do all the detail shots before we even started the field test. That's why I Which, felt so yeah. relaxed. So that saved like almost a day and a half of, yeah. of, of filming while, while we were there. And then vice versa, when we were in Tucson, Tom and I had tried, we did a seamless again and we tried to shoot all of the beauty shots at night after we had been filming all day that and that was not a good idea <laughs> that didn't work at all dude well, casual 20 hour work days yeah, come on yeah now. it's easy it's so yeah those are the learning experiences and stuff but yeah this time was probably about two days total okay. of like detail shots and all the bikes were fresh right? and they were clean and yeah. fresh and yeah they weren't all scuffed so we up which them. you don't have to clean them you don't have to i shoot around any dings or anything. i wish you guys would shoot the bikes dirty to be honest, because like yeah. pe- if people want catalog shots, and I- I'm not even saying that because I hate cleaning the bikes after <laughs> yeah. we ride them, so you guys can go shoot them. But I- if people want catalog shots, go to the website so you can see catalog shots. Mm-hmm. Like we're not here to make catalog shots. I don't care. Yeah, I I want the yeah, bikes but they to look, look like yeah, ridden they look, and dirty. No, but I think it looks and things. Sometimes it's weird to the light and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, yeah that's a, I think like it a, looks a fine too- line. Like, yeah, I agree, Kaz. It, it, when it's all muddy, or I don't know, it just it doesn't. It's not as exciting from the filming perspective when it's all old and crusty and bunch of artists here, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, let's take take us out to a shoot on the trail. You're shooting Casimir and Matt and I mm-hmm. up in Whistler. How are you guys doing that? Like, who's on what camera? Who's getting what type of shots? Yeah, um, describe it. So, how we run it is we usually have three three camera operators there one's on the photos two on video and we'll run um somebody handheld with a wider angle lens yeah and then somebody on tripod with a with a long lens like a 7200 to 200 mil lens and that camera is usually capturing slow motion tight header shots and then the wide camera would be you know um real time faster paced shots that last not quite as long it's nice to have that when you're editing it's nice to have both options of quick shots and slower shots because if you need to you know kaz is talking about how suspension works and he's getting really detailed into it it's nice to have that long slow motion clip Mm -hmm. that shows all the suspension action vice versa if you're just trying to like cover up a clip and uh like a jump cut and post Mm -hmm. those shorter clips usually work and it helps with pacing too yeah yeah i mean Especially like when someone's talking too long and you need that like long pan shot, you know, something something like that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Having the three of you on the hill shooting at the same time, like we're basically, we are getting three different kind of assets. Like we're getting our photo and two video shots in each take. Yeah. And you're trying to do different angles. So that brings up 
the part of it where you're always trying to frame out the other people, the other filmers, yeah. and the other riders all the time. Because you, sometimes you'll only be shooting on a trail that's so long, and you're trying to get a long shot. And within that shot, you can see everybody. So you're getting people like sneak behind trees and just take a couple oh, steps yeah. back. But most of the time, if you were the shots that you see, if we had pulled the camera out a little bit and just been a little bit wider, there'd probably be five people right around the rider <laughs> yeah. that you can't see. Totally. <laughs> so I'm always impressed how great the, the photos look, but how do you prioritize who shoots what? Uh, usually we prioritize video. I'd say unless it's a really good photo opportunity, we'll prioritize the video. Or if we have a lot of, say we have 30 descending clips and in that 30, we already have 10 really good long shots that are showing suspension action. I don't need that shot again, but maybe the photographer needs, needs that shot. So then at that point in time, we would prioritize the photo over the, over the video. But usually we just, we need more video clips than we do photo photos. So yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Usually we prioritize video. How many clips goes into one of these videos and how long does it take to shoot a bike for beauty or for the entire the, thing? The, the entire thing? Yeah. Um, well, right. Riding clips. will will aim for her camera, uh, 30 ish clips per so camera. 60 so total. 60 climbing shots, 60 descending shots. Yeah. Total. Um, and then beauty shots are like, it's an hour of bike. Yeah. Uh, hour and a half per bike. Yeah. Wise. Does it feel like honest question for you? Does it feel like formulaic to you at this point? Yeah. Yeah. I imagine yeah, because sure. yeah, like you've done a ton of these now, like we know the shots were pretty efficient mm -hmm. about it. So for you, sometimes it's got to be challenging or maybe interesting to like make it interesting to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Every time we kind of, I don't even know if it's like vocalized that we're trying to do something different, but each of us kind of has, as far as the filmers and photographers, I know we're always working on different elements of, of filming and, and whatnot. So every field test, it's like you kind of come with a new idea of how you'd want to try to shoot something mm -hmm. or different types of shots that you would like to get. Um, so I think kind of running like that helps keep it interesting. For example, this time in, in Whistler, it was sunny the whole time, which usually in the fall time here, you don't really get that. And we were shooting Satchel who lives in Santa Cruz was up shooting, help uh, shooting it with us. And so he's very used to shooting in the sun all the time. Mm -hmm. And I don't like shooting in the sun. I obviously prefer shooting in the clouds and he has a different eye when he shoots in the sun. And he can, he, he knows what to look for and how to use it as a benefit versus it just being annoying and spotty. So it was really interesting this time watching Satchel work and, and kind of working with him to understand the different ways to like use the sunlight to your benefit when it's fall time and you have all these cool colors and the leaves and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so just fo on this time around focusing on that was super interesting. His photos. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> they were good. Well, I, I think, yeah, they were amazing, but I think you just explained it perfectly. Like we're used to shooting here in Squamish or Whistler, whatever, see the sky and it's like cloudy and, and misty yeah. and you get, photographers or videographers that want to go out in those conditions all the time because they are incredible and they do look mystic all that stuff but to have somebody else come in and shoot it in our backyard in the sun and make it look really good mm -hmm. too was very impressive yeah yeah it was cool it, it added to the mix yeah. yeah like days when we'd go out and the you know it's 
super like not a cloud in the sky i'd be like ah oh, man the shots are gonna be pretty whatever and then satchel's just stoked he's fired up he knows exactly how to get all the bang so. yeah and then seeing the photos afterwards it like you see it yeah it stokes people out like it For stokes sure. us out like we've had a lot of photos taken of us over yeah. the years and i mean i'm always going to be appreciative but it when you see something like those photos you're just like fuck yeah, yeah it's like cool. that is awesome you know no matter how many photos you've got taken of you mm-hmm. that's that's cool yeah uh let's talk about conditions just we're going to talk about filming for a few more minutes before we get to bikes dude i loved that dusty dry shit that was mm. so good but from a filming perspective yeah is that good for you or bad? Yeah. The finished product looks great with yeah. the dust and stuff. I like but... it. Yeah, no, it's good. I think as long as the rider can ride it comfortably, yeah. like that's such a big part of it, right? Is um, it only matters so much what the conditions, as far as lighting is like, and the trail conditions and what whatever. Um, if the riders can't ride well, then it's not going to be as exciting. So when you and Kaz and Matt were were ripping those trails, and you're comfortable enough to ride them at a good level, when you put those together, then it's it's exciting. The, the dust is fun because and then going back to shooting in the sun if the light's behind the dust then you get that's how you get all that lit up like halo effect yeah in the dust and that looks really cool i just want to say this is the first field test when we were finished wrapping the filming every day i could have kept filming yeah, well, yeah. which yeah that doesn't happen that never happens <laughs> we went riding after every day oh yeah yeah same yeah <laughs> crazy everybody was stoked Jeez, yeah okay uh let's uh let's talk about some of the logistics of these things because this can be a shit show sometimes kaz um some commenters wanted to see more and different bikes as usual can you speak to how hard it was to source some of these bikes around why did we only have five um explain some upsides of that too like less bikes more saddle time gotta be good yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm always like, they're always this kind of a, it's a balancing act. You know, some people would want us to have 20 bikes in all of these, but if we had 20 bikes just with the limited number of testers and film time and all that, it just gets, gets out of control. So ideally, I would have liked to have a couple more, you know, if we had maybe, I don't know, six or eight, somewhere around there, you know, we've done them with eight before, but um, yeah, some bikes weren't available. Like we tried to get a few more, but they just timing has been so crazy this year with everybody Lots of brands say their bike's coming out a certain month and all of a sudden they say, oh no, it's coming out two months from now, three months from now. Like I know there's a bike that's supposed to come out, I think this January, maybe even later, but they told me about it seven months ago. So, um, yeah, there's just a lot of, been a lot of delays still. It's just, I think it's kind of hold over from all the, the COVID delays. So that was an issue. Um, and we also want to always focus on the newest bikes so we don't, we don't tend to go on bikes that have been out for a couple of years. So that's how we end up with these five bikes. These are all new this year. Um, and yeah, ideally a couple more would have been nice, but we just couldn't get them in time. There were delays. So this is what we ended up with, but I was excited that this was the crop that we got. It's kind of a cool, interesting mix and they all fit right into that trail category. So usually that's kind of how I start out is just, I just make a list of basically the, the new and interesting bikes in any category. Once we got kind of know what we're going to be focusing on, um, and this one kind of that 130 to 150 mil range and kind of go from there. Yeah. I, I think it would have been cool to have another bike or two, but at the same time, like we were just saying, the photos were amazing. I, I'm, this is the most stoked I've been on the video. So I think the flip side to that is having fewer bikes gives us more time on the bikes. It also gives more time for Max and Satchel and Stefan to film and edit and do the things that they need to do. And I think the finished product looks better for having fewer bikes. And I know that's in the future, that's not going to be the case, but I like how this turned out with just five bikes. Yeah. And there were some more mainstream brands. Yeah. And so like, it's always catch 22, no matter what bike we have, 
there's going to be one that somebody wants to have tested and we don't get to it. But whether it's mainstream or more obscure brands like we had in Bellingham or just, you know, more localized or less, less popular worldwide. Yeah. It's always hard to balance those out. And this time around we had some more popular ones and they were really good. So yeah, it doesn't really matter what bikes we have. Uh, they all get tested thoroughly and it's always a, a treat to ride them and see how they perform. We did ruffle some feathers though with that Norco. Yep. Well, that wasn't really us. Norco did that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it. it's kind of like, it is a huge outlier to have in the field test. It's like we sort of just dropped a bomb in there, you know? Yeah, that's true. There were definitely some very fancy carbon-looking bikes that were very light and expensive. And this Norco was aluminum and not quite as light, but yeah. rode very well. Had you guys ridden the Norco before we got it? Yeah. Were we aware about yeah. anything to, about it? Yeah, I had put some miles on it beforehand, but like Kaz said, we were hard to get bikes. Yeah, yeah. So it could have been its own separate test for sure, but we thought... I mean, I think it's neat to have like kind of a spoiler in the party. Um, you know, it sort of just gives you some perspective. Like it's not there to say, oh my God, all these other bikes are too expensive. Like I know they're too, just don't buy them. Like whatever. <laughs> yeah. But it's just there because, hey, you don't need to spend 10, 12, like this is four. And the other thing is, I don't think that Norco is that great of a deal, to be honest with you. It just looks like such a killer deal next to those other freaking bikes, Kaz. No, I think it's a pretty good deal. If you look at other other bike <laughs> prices and things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean if you well, want to now, get like spreadsheet yeah. land, it's pretty good. Yeah. Like right, exactly. I mean the price a couple of years ago, if someone was like four thousand dollars, it's not a value bike, but unfortunately all prices have gone up so much that it is a, a well priced bike. But but yeah, we kinda of put it yeah. in there just because it does fall exactly in this category. Like it there's no you know, we had a lot of expensive bikes just because they were the, the brand new ones, so the companies want to send their highest end. But even then, some of the, like that Santa Cruz isn't the highest end, and it's almost ten thousand dollars. It's like it doesn't even have their fanciest carbon frame. So it, I, I don't think it's got really, GX. Yeah. yeah, like two of the bikes are the highest end, but then two of the other ones that still both cost two ten thousand dollars aren't the highest end. So it's like it's just hard because these bikes are really expensive, and I get the complaints, but I also don't get the complaints. Like it's kind of a I don't know. I like to ride and read about the fancy things. And it's also cool to, you know, ride and read about the not so fancy things. So we did both. Kaz, when you're, when you're, when you're trying to source these bikes, are you saying, Hey guys, like, can you just send us like the freaking SLX version or like, what is the company response? Do they just send us the fanciest things? How does that play out? No, a lot of times it's the bikes that they've built up for media samples. So when a company launches bikes, their first ones that they typically get built, you know, before the bike actually hits the market, they'll have a media version, ones that are going to be like in their, whether it's their demo fleet or that they're going to send out to journalists. So a lot of times those are the fancier versions. Um, that's just how it happens. And, you know, we've talked about instituting some sort of price cap in the past, which we can do sometimes, but it's also like, it doesn't really matter as much as I think people, other people think like a lot of commenters think that. Of course, they all ride good. They're ten thousand dollars, but um, it's not that hard to like. I don't think any of us are are. Uh, we don't get blinders put on just because we're on a fancy bike. Like we're not like, oh, this bike's fancy. It must be great. I think we've all ridden enough bikes by now that we're probably even harder on the fancier bikes as far as picking out the the pros and cons. Um, but yeah, so as far as back to the, the question about how the bikes show up, it's basically the company has like kind of a fleet of media bikes that they're able to send out. So like that Trek fuel EX, um, we snagged that around Crankworx Whistler time. Cause they were Trek was in town. They brought a bunch of bikes up to 
um, for journalists to ride during crank work. So we held on to that one. So it could be included in this test. The Scott, that's just how it showed up. Uh, they sent out the fanciest one. The Yeti, um, I spent some time in Colorado riding that bike in, in Colorado. Um, and then they sent, sent it out to us to test in Whistler. And same with that Santa Cruz, that's the one that showed up um, when that, like right before that bike launched. So basically these are like the launch bikes, the bikes that they wanted journalists on before the bike launched. And then we kind of brought them all in for the field test to put some more miles on them. Yeah. From, from our perspective, it's much more interesting to test a value priced bike because there's more things to talk about. Like I know like everybody listening out there, like I know you probably wanted to read about the 3000 or the 5000 or $6,000 one or whatever. And like, I wanted to ride that one too. Trust me, because it's more interesting from our perspective. Like stuff is more likely to go wrong or, or more likely to be different. You know, I don't know. Like there's this whole thing about like, I, like I don't, I like to ride them all. Like there's nothing wrong. I don't feel any guilt for testing the highest end. Like, wouldn't you want to know how the fanciest stuff works? Like, what if there's some cool fancy part that's worth trying to like save your money for to yep. put on your cheaper bike? Like, so oh, I think for sure. like, yeah, that's what well, you both. Yeah. Like this wasn't the value bike field test. And there's so many, like some of these companies have 12 bikes in their range. So it's like, you can't test them all, but, um, I but agree yeah, Cass, for sure. Prior fanciest one. But I would also argue that a value bike field test is like, there's more things in it usually to like, uh, parse out like performance wise, especially like with components and things like that. Would you guys agree? I think there's more variables. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, there's definitely going to be more differences between the bikes versus like all these code RSCs work or, or don't. Like all the carbon wheels are great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. But durability and flaws definitely. Yeah, I think it's limited to you can only test like you couldn't do that in Whistler. Yeah, that test. We yeah. would be reshooting. Yeah, like I'm glad. Yeah, there's like a. I'm glad we didn't have to like rally down a line with a Rockshox 35. I mean. <laughs> value test go, only goes so far you know like, like it, it depends yeah. kind of how some things will hold you back a little bit when it comes to value which we we mentioned and we you know we test bikes as they're intended to be written yeah. but i think that we will be doing another value test we're already planning it so um, for anyone that's worried that hasn't gone anywhere we'll get one going next uh dates aren't confirmed yet but sometime next spring early summer we'll get one going. next week everybody yeah. <laughs> <Shit>. yeah. <laughs> five field tests a year <laughs> yeah snow bikes we're doing um, fat bike value fat bikes <laughs> Do do you guys think it's fair that we tested these trail bikes in the bike park? Like if I was if I was a marketing guy from one of these brands for these companies that we tested and I heard that Pinkbike is reviewing our trail bike in the bike park, I might be more nervous than I would be if we were testing it in Tucson or somewhere. I, think, <laughs> I don't know. I think it goes like they could almost use it as, as an out if something did break. Like it was written in the bike park, it wasn't supposed to be. Whereas if a bike broke in Tucson, there's an, a flaw, an inherent flaw with the bike. There was a couple flaws. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Matt? Yeah, I mean, you look around at the other people in the lineup at Whistler, and they're on those bikes. Right. So yeah. that's where they're being ridden. That's fair. Um, you know, it's not to say that we were riding down the gnarliest trails only. I was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like we shot on that Mackenzie River Trail. That was so good. That's like a That's the perfect trail bike track. Yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah, that's where those bikes shine and put them to the test and yeah. rode them accordingly and maybe push it a little farther. Yeah, and I think, yeah, exactly. I think that's what, you know, when you say bike park, people have different ideas, but these days bike parks around the world are kind of just a way to get laps of all kinds. Like they're not just, bike park doesn't mean just gnarly downhill trails. There's just trails that you don't have to pedal to the top of. So 
it's a great way to get tons of laps in. Like we found the trails that worked well for these bikes. And yeah, I'm a fan of having a lift served um, access to just get as many downhill miles on a bike as possible. And then we obviously pedaled them uphill too. So yeah, it was a great way, great way to test them. Yeah. Yeah. From my perspective, these are the kind of bikes that I enjoy riding most in the bike park, to be honest with you. Like wearing a beanie helmet, riding a trail bike in the bike park. It's just fun. No. It's just fun. No. no, no. I love it. I don't. I feel so naked without a full face. Because you wear a beanie all the time. A beanie? Yeah. In the bike park. Not in the bike it's park, It's a two-cup though. north. something about chairlift that makes you think yeah. a full face. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I know that you've already heard a little bit about Trail Forks for me, but it is our final sale of the holidays, and I don't want you to miss out on the 30% off deal. On top of global access to the Trail Forks app, this subscription also comes with Outside Plus, and that means that you get benefits across the entire Outside network. And as a member, you're supporting incredible projects like Pink Bike Racing. If you haven't checked out Season 3 on Outside Watch yet, I highly recommend it. It is my kind of reality TV with 10 mountain bikers competing for $30,000 and a pro contract. Outside Watch also has more than 600 hours of member-only content, including every Warren Miller film ever made. And you get full access with Outside Plus. Now, I know what I'm doing over the holidays. This is our last sale of the holidays, so get it for yourself or gift it to your buddies. And by the way, you don't even need to worry about shipping. Find out more and get 30% off for a limited time at trailforks.com slash podcast. Let's talk about these bikes. Uh, what did we have? We had a... Uh, frick, it's been a while now. Oh, they're right here. We had uh, uh, a <laughs> yeah, yeah. Scott Genius ST. They're right in front of me, everybody, because I haven't sent them back yet. There's a Scott Genius ST. There's a Yeti SB140. Um... Oh, fuel oh, EX. A Fuel EX and a Santa Cruz Hightower and then the Fluid FS1. So, Kaz, coming into this, what bike do you uh, did you want to ride the most? Um, I mean, that Fluid was definitely high on the list because I know you'd been riding it and that was, I was excited for that. Um, I don't know what else. Like, the Scott, just because it looks so futuristic. I wanted to see how that how that thing worked. I was excited for all of them, really. Like, it's a pretty solid crop of, like, the latest and greatest trail bike thing so there wasn't any bike that was like oh i have to ride that like i'd and i'd actually already spent some time on the high tower i'd ridden actually i'd ridden most of them before so i cheated i rode them all before <laughs> surprise <laughs> yeah <laughs> what about you matt the one i was most excited for yeah i think the yeti because i've probably spent the least amount of time on those bikes in general yeah and obviously the scott because it was yeah so wild looking like just looked like a ski boot just like a big carbon that is an shell. Excellent way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> ski boot. You know, everything's hidden in there. It was the lightest in the test, and just probably the most different visually. Yeah. Uh, but the Norco too, like that was also you know more of a grounding bike. Yeah. In terms of the price and the parts what, and how it performed. What did you think of the Scott? Now that you've spent time on it, it uses the different version of the twin lock thing. Let's hear it. Yeah, I spent uh, not very much time on that bike, <laughs> <laughs> but. It was completely normal. Yeah. You know, the uh, uh, horse link design just kind of jammed in the in the frame. Yeah. And it did have like sort of a echoing kind of yeah. feel to it. It felt hollow and like light. Yeah. So that was pretty unique. 
How'd you get on with the remote? Did you press the wrong button at all? For sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that was my first time using the twin lock stuff uh, in this configuration, I guess. Yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of a lot of controls, yeah. but I'm sure if it was your bike and you spent quite a bit of time on it, get used to it. Yeah. My takeaway from that, Scott, was that it rode like a normal bike, even though it doesn't look like it. <laughs> Kaz? <laughs> yeah, I, I like this, Scott. Like, as far as the way it rides, that was the one that I... I think I ended up putting my fastest time lap on it, whatever that means. I definitely hit the biggest features on that bike. It was the one that I felt most at home in the bike park. It does have the most travel also, but, um, I, that, yeah, somehow I ended up on trails that I probably wouldn't normally go on a, on a trail bike on that one and, and handle them all. So, um, yeah, I, I like hot rides, but I'm definitely conflicted about all the other gadgetry and things going on with it. It's not probably not right. a bike that I would choose to own, but it's like, yeah, it does ride very, it rides well. And if you just don't look down, it, you wouldn't know it's all, all this kind of engineering <laughs> just don't look at it. went into it. <laughs> well, I like how it looks too. Like, I do like that spaceship look. It looks like a bike from the future. Yeah. Um, it's just that some like that, you know, the, the, the headset cable routing and the extra remote and things that they don't really suit my tastes. Max. Yep. You spent a ton of time on the side of the trail watching us ride these bikes. Yep. Uh, was there a bike that looked like it handled things better or a bike that looked sketchier than the other bikes? Hmm. Not a rider, just a bike. <laughs> yeah, the ones you were on? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, no, they all look pretty good. It's, I mean, it's hard to say in the moment you're just so focused on pretty much everything else besides the bike. Like I'm not yeah. even paying attention to the bike at all. I'm paying attention to the focus pole focus yeah. and and exposure and all that right so and just remembering to hit record <laughs> lens cap lens cap <laughs> there was like some clips where like you couldn't even remember what bike i was on when we were doing the downhill thing which was another oh yeah topic, but, oh yeah. yeah yeah you're like what bike was that again so i know how attentive you are to the yeah you know, setting up the camera yeah half the time i don't even know who's riding <laughs> that's just that's fair as long as we get it done yeah. right yeah so uh no they all they, i mean this especially this in other field tests you, you there are bikes that you see coming down they look sketchier this one i mean they're all good bikes so yeah they all seem they all seem fun yeah i would say that as good as the norco was for the price and all that it did feel not the flimsiest but like didn't quite have the same like poise as the others like most of them had 36 forks this one has a 34. Has it's a little a trail less bike. travel. What are these trail bikes doing with 36s? I'm just comparing them. I'm okay. not saying okay. one or the other is better <laughs> yet. That's your job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree. Like, it, I mean, it's obvious that it's got 10 mils less on both ends, 20 mils less than the Scott, I think, on both ends. Like, that's a big difference and some mm -hmm. big angle differences there, too, um, relatively speaking. Um, but at the same time, like, you could ride all the same stuff. You might have just been going like, okay, so on the trail, what does $6,000 difference feel like, Matt? Well, I wouldn't say it's more the price. It's just, yeah, sort of the construction and the and the components on it. Okay. Like the wheels, for example, were, you know, not quite as burly as some of the DT Swiss ones. Yeah. Um, the frame did feel like it wasn't a carbon frame, it's an mm -hmm. aluminum frame. Uh, obviously, there's different ways to build both of those, but it did seem like a little bit more flexy and, and like underneath me, it wasn't quite as strong feeling. Yeah. Uh, same with the fork. Like when you're under like heavy braking or hitting big brake bumps, you, you can definitely feel the fork flexing a little more than a 36. Yep. 
So there's all there's all that to consider when you're going to be riding them in a bike park. Yeah, I think that the hub on the Norco loosened up as well. The rear hub, Kaz, um, got a little yeah, rattly yeah. as well too. Yeah. So that's something to mention. Yeah, Kaz, which which of these bikes impressed you the most? I think that Trek Fuel EX is the one that I still, out of all these, that's the one. I really like that bike. Just they did a great job with it. It's got all that adjustability. Um, and then the way it rides, it's a little bit, it's like a good a step in a little bit, slightly different direction for Trek. In the past, their bikes have been, I've always enjoyed riding their bikes, but they kind of felt, um, sometimes they just didn't feel like they were aimed at aggressive riding in a way. Like they had a really kind of softer suspension tune, not quite as supportive while climbing or descending. And this one, um, I thought like it really hit the sweet spot, you know, you could hit big stuff, some of those big holes in the bike park and just plow right through. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a, this is the bike that almost out of all these ones, if someone's like looking for their general duty trail bike, all mountain bike, it's easy to recommend the fuel X and it comes in aluminum and, and the way, uh, and a big range of price points too. So. Matt, I'm going to pick the fuel X too. So you're not allowed. So aside from the fuel X, is there a bike that you were impressed by a lot? I did like the Yeti. It it felt. Um, <laughs> Mike's giving me a weird face. I'm smiling. <laughs> it felt more like a trail bike than some of the others. Uh, I would probably. Well, you both like the track. Yeah. If I was to pick the track, I'd go down size. It felt massive to me. Yeah. Um, the high tower felt a little bit too meaty in comparison to the other bikes, mm-hmm. and being a trail bike. Um, I, I like the Foley's as some of the other ones that were lighter and a little bit more svelte feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Max, what about you? What bike I like the most? Yeah, tell us. I like the Canfield. <laughs> <laughs> I was riding. That was nice to have a downhill bike with a camera back. <laughs> how, was, how was filming in the bike park with the bag? You know, I did a lap. When we finished on the last day yeah. of filming, I did a lap with your bag on so yeah, you yeah. could just right. send it. <laughs> holy shit dude it's 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 tough tough. yeah it's hard and so i had a tripod so the tripod adds element of like a little bit of head slap you're always getting nuked in the helmet it also sticks out to the side Mm -hmm. it's gonna catch on a tree and stop you that hurts when that yeah yeah um but yeah it was fine i had a downhill bike so it made it a lot easier you had big stoppies and and all this stuff but um on trail bikes in the bike park it would be tough I, or that's, scary. That's what I rode my bike. Yeah. My bike went from yeah. like twenty five percent sag to like fifty five percent sag. Yeah. <laughs> I was bottoming out in the corners. Yeah, not good. Anyways, for me, I would pick that Trek. I think it's like crazy versatile, and I like the fact that it's evolved so much and changed so much because I've ridden all the other fuels. So for me, it's kind of got this like interesting continuation story of of evolution to to this thing, which I think it's probably a bit big for me to be honest, not size wise, but like. If I lived here, I do live in Squamish. (laughs) (laughs) I live in Squamish and it would be a great one bike for Squamish. Sure. But I could see lots of places in the world where even the new Fuel EX would be, it's a, it's like a lot of trail bike. Like all of these things are a lot of trail bike, you know? Yeah. When did trail bikes get 36s and 150 miles of travel and and all this stuff? I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that like, these are big trail bikes. Yes. When... 29 inch wheels became a thing more than just on cross country circuits and just each category i think has stepped up what the bike's capable of with the bigger wheels people are going faster riding longer descents and so they cover everything go ahead sorry 
Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, I think trails have evolved too. You know, like as much as people love to complain about flow trails, I would say on the whole, the average level of technical difficulty and the access to jumps and drops and, and bike parks for that matter, I think there's a lot more of that out there. So what we're all riding as our normal trail ride would have been things that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we would have been free riding on the same exact trails. So I think yeah. that these trail bikes were asking a lot out of them because yeah, who, I mean, think, yeah, go back 10 years, would you have been riding a fuel, fuel EX in the bike park? Probably not. Well, that's Kaz, that's exactly what I was going to say is go back three years and ride a trail bike in the bike park for two weeks, how we were riding them like a bunch of idiots and they would like all of these bikes are fine there's nothing wrong with them they're they're, they're, they're ready to go back to the bike park mm -hmm. if we wanted to i don't think we could have said that about any trail bike no from three four years no. ago it's pretty impressive <clears throat> and even just how well they pedal like obviously the trail bikes they should pedal well but when you step up and, and travel and and durability of these components like the bikes are now they can still pedal fine you yeah. can still do huge days on any of those bikes but yeah. then you can take them to the bike park. You can ride A-Line, you could ride Slayer, you could ride Garbo, whatever. Yeah. I know there were some comments under the Welcome to Field Test article about all of the weights of the bikes. You know, because it wasn't that long ago a trail bike mm -hmm. was a 130 or was something and, you know, it weighed 26 pounds and it was kind of sketchy in places. And dudes, like, those bikes aren't going to survive. Well, and I think the other thing that people forget is that bigger wheels yeah. are heavier inherently, whether the same rim casing tire, whatever. Yeah. Um, then we've also added like longer dropper posts. The frames themselves have gotten longer. Mm -hmm. That's more material. There's like a foot of extra material yeah. on these things. And the same goes for the yeah. cassette. Like the cassettes have gotten larger. Yeah. So all things, everything else equal, the, the bike's bigger. So it's going to weigh more. Do you think uh, a modern trail bike from like one out of the five, bikes that we tested on a big day in the pedaling big day in the saddle would it be easier on one of the bikes we have today or the counterpart from two three four years ago that was you know a few pounds lighter i'm gonna have more fun on a modern bike for sure and i'm probably gonna climb and clean more things on the climb even though the bike is longer and slacker to be honest with you yeah more stable yeah uphill or way downhill. more traction yeah I'm going to have more fun on yeah, the modern can, bike. Who am I? What the hell? Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mind the extra weight for what it's brought and even like modern geometry, you know, like I wouldn't mind if bikes got light, lighter either though. I will say that I do, I do like a light bike when it, when it's possible. Like that Scott was really impressive because it was only 30 pounds and it was the lightest, um, it was the lightest bike and also the most travel. So I don't think that there are people to say weight doesn't matter. I mean, if you can save a few grams here or there, I'm all for it, but, but yeah, these bikes, I thought all the weights are acceptable. And we also put double down tires on it. We should mention that. So that adds about a half a pound, which a lot of people live in places that don't need a Just double half down a pound? tire. So. Dude. Uh, yeah. My 600 gram tires and all it adds is half a pound. No, compared to those, no, <laughs> compared to like, joking. it's a half pound, like compared to like XO, XO plus or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Compared to XC tire, you could put XC tires on these and then you could save a whole pound if you wanted, but then you would get a flat rolling down we, the street. We had no flats. We had no rim issues. No. Um, yeah. Did we have any mechanical issues? There, was, that, there the, was one. There was the pin that popped out on the... Oh, on the GX derailleur. Yeah. We also had uh, the dropper post line on the Scott came unattached. So, Kaz, you had to go through the headset. Um, the Norco rear hub got a bit loose. Mm -hmm. Just we had some loose headsets, as you'd expect, riding in the bike park. Freaks with it. 
couple creeks, couple 